Hey there, folks. Welcome to this week's Truth in a Thousand Words or Less. My name is Stephen Craig. I'm the host and author of Truth in a Thousand Words or Less. Oh, happy Thursday for y'all. Um, so happy you could join us. And um, I think you're going to like this week's column. Um, I don't know if it's cheery, um, but it's a, it's an important topic. And it, and it came up to me, um, you know, it, the Great Replacement Theory has been in the news quite a bit of recently. And, uh, of course, it was... Um, you know, by the way, with these mass shooters, uh, it, it, let me finish the first thought. The, the great replacement theory came up. Um, it was part of the manifesto uh, written thousand. I think it's, I think I read somewhere like hundreds of hundreds of thousands of pages manifesto written by this flipping whack job eighteen year old kid who uh, shot up the largely black grocery store um, in Buffalo, New York, on my birthday. By the way, yeah, fuck you, get off. So in any case, uh, not that my birthday matters when people are being massacred. Um, sorry for even making that illusion, but I, in any case, um, it, and so it's it's been coming up quite a bit recently. Um, and and as I said, as a side note, I, I try to just avoid altogether even giving a damn about what these mass. I don't know the kid's name. I'm not going to tell you his name because I don't know it. Um, I really believe that it's important for us not to give them any credence whatsoever. Um, and so I, I try to ignore the shooter's identity um, and what their their personal philosophy is because uh, they're doing it to grab this attention and we shouldn't be giving them the attention. Um, but it did uh, bring up to light uh, this notion of great replacement theory and I had never heard about it before. And, and sure enough, um, a third of Americans, believe it or not, believe this nonsense. And, uh, and over 50% of Republicans, go figure. And... Um, and so I thought it was a worthwhile, um, a worthwhile point of discussion. And as I started thinking about it more and more, and I think you'll see this by the time we get to the conclusion of the piece, um, I think there's something far bigger going on here uh, with great replace, great replacement theory. Um, there are of course a number of right wing nut jobs who are running their campaigns on this, um, and uh, using this sort of race baiting as a way to garner support because of the, a lot of the poor white folks, uh, especially uneducated white folks. This is Trump's base. Um, you know, yeah, and I'm not just trying to denigrate people like literally um, the less educated you are, the more likely you were to have voted for Donald Trump. Um, and uh, the fact of the matter is, is that this. It's this race baiting is to try to drum up the support for these uh, right wing candidates. And I thought that there was something really important going on. And so with that, I bring you this week's column uh, called Replacing Replacement Theory. If you're like me, and let's face it, if you are reading this, you probably are. The first time you ever heard the term Great Replacement Theory came in the unfortunate aftermath of the mass shooting at a Topps Friendly Markets grocery store in a predominantly black neighborhood in Buffalo, New York, back on May 14th of this year. Turns out that before mowing down 10 innocent black patrons and injuring three more, the gunman wrote a white supremacy manifesto in which he ascribed his anger to the notions underpinning the Great Replacement Theory, an idea peddled by many right-wing media outlets, including Fox News and Tucker Carlson, who the killer named specifically in his racist diatribe. 
But if you think you can just turn your back on this narrow-minded piece of right-wing bigotry and ignore its anti-intellectual discrimination, you better think again. Because polls show that over 50% of Republicans support this mindless drivel, and right-wing media is clearly using it to push a renewed white supremacy agenda. So what exactly is replacement theory? Well, replacement theory is the notion that liberal Democrats are intentionally trying to lower the white population of the United States and replace white Americans with people of color through lax immigration policies and increased birth rates among black, Latino, and Asian populations in order to gain political advantage through enhanced voting demographics. Now, never mind, by the way, that this this guy from um, Arizona, as a complete aside, this guy in Arizona... Uh, was uh, who's running for Senate in uh, in Arizona as a Republican candidate, Trump-backed, of course, um, was suggesting uh, he's a big proponent of great replacement theory. He's also suggested that, um, that he actually came out and said that, frankly, the problem, the gun problem is, frankly, black people. And, uh, and the Democrats don't want to do anything about it, which seems really counterintuitive to the whole great replacement theory, because if we were... If Democrats were trying to <laughs> replace white people with black people, uh, you would think that we'd want to keep the black people alive. So, uh, two, two and two don't equal one, but they do for this moron. So in any case, um, some of this racial bigotry, of course, makes no logical sense. But in any case, back to the point. Behind this lies a latent paranoia that white culture in America is under attack. And that if we are not careful and push back against encroaching minority populations, this nation will fall into the untitled hands of minority grifters. But believe it or not, this particular iteration of racist ideology is nothing new. Though it has reemerged in the face of right-wing media outlets trying to stoke fear and anger into a white voting base in order to energize them to support polarizing Republican candidates, the ideas behind replacement theory go back over 100 years. For example, in F. Scott Fitzgerald's seminal 1925 classic, The Great Gatsby, which if you haven't read, go get a copy and do it right now, says a former English teacher. So resident racist uh, in that book, uh, resident racist Tom Buchanan suggests, have you read The Rise of the Colored Empires by this man Goddard? Well, it's a fine book and everybody ought to read it. The idea is if we don't look out, the white race will be will be utterly submerged. It's all scientific stuff. It's been proved. Now, Fitzgerald himself was hardly a white supremacist. Instead, he uses this line to quickly inform the reader of the selfish and despicable nature of Tom's character, aligning him with a fictional work that is a thinly veiled representation of the real world Tom called the rising tide of color against white world supremacy by actual Ku Klux Klan leader, Lothrop Stoppard. And if you notice the, the similarity of both the titles and the actual names of the authors, yeah. In any case, Stoppard published his book uh, five years earlier in 1920. Even as far back as the Great Depression, less than 60 years after slavery and the controlled procreation of blacks officially ended in the United States, the battle cry was being rung. The black community is coming to end white culture. And to some degree, these unapologetic white supremacists are correct. White dominance and demographic majority are quickly eroding. For the first time in more than 100 years, white deaths in the United States over the past year exceeded white births. 
At the same time, earlier than predicted, the majority of births were to black, Hispanic, and Asian mothers. In 2013, William H. Fry of the Brookings Institution told the New York Times, these new census estimates are an early signal alerting us to the impending decline in the white population that will characterize most of the 21st century. The most recent 2020 census highlighted more racial diversity than ever. Leading Nicholas Jones, the Director of Race, Ethnicity, Research, and Outreach for the Census Bureau's Population Division, to suggest these changes reveal that the U.S. population is much more multiracial and more racially and ethnically diverse than what we measured in the past. The white, non-Hispanic population without another race decreased by 8.6% since 2010 according to the new data from the 2020 census. The U.S. is now 57.8% white, 18.7% Hispanic, 12.4% black, and 6% Asian. The numbers don't lie, folks. The per capita white population of America is steadily decreasing, while the non-white minority population continues to increase. Soon, whites will not reflect the majority of the United States population. But the inherently prejudiced and racist nature of replacement theory is not derived from its supporting evidence, but the erroneous conclusions it formulates thereof. While white supremacists like Tucker Carlson pervert this demographical transition of United States population into a troubling conflict that reinforces their own twisted agenda, racial diversification of our nation should be seen as a good thing, not a problem to be solved. After all, isn't that the whole idea behind the great melting pot ideology that was the basis for America's greatness in the first place? Aren't we a nation of immigrants made stronger by the diversity of thought and cultures that comprise the fabric of our communities? But that notion doesn't support the right-wing media game plan. Why? Because they need to impose fear of racial conflict, positing white against non-white, in order to deflect from the unrecognized conflict that truly is undermining the strength of American culture, the schism of wealth that currently defines American society. Conservative leaders and media figures routinely engage in race baiting because it keeps economically deprived, ignorant white folks from correctly attributing the real source of their distress, namely, wealthy white people who continue to take more and more out of the economic system for their own personal betterment, and instead deflecting their ire onto similarly economically disadvantaged folks who just so happen to not share their ethnic identity. It is the ultimate red herring, as non-whites have become the right-wing scapegoat for the economic condition of poor white people in order to distract from the greed of the CEOs and stockholders who continue to grab a disproportionate share of our nation's limited economic resources. By pitting poor whites against poor blacks and Latinos, it keeps both of those groups from banding together and facing their true common enemy, wealthy people who keep getting richer at the expense of the lower and middle classes. Now, you could make a pretty good sound case that a similar phenomenon is transpiring on the left side of the aisle as well. Through a woke agenda that stokes the anger and resentment of minorities towards their white counterparts, 
they too willfully misalign the economic dynamic that creates the unfortunate circumstances for all economically deprived families and instead substitutes race conflict for the true culprit of their misfortune. Both parties thus serve to keep the nation's working class from banding together to demand better wages and more proportional distribution of our nation's wealth. By stirring the pot of racial conflict, both the left and the right protect the country's financial elite from becoming the rightful target of united working class. And so, echoing the famous words of Karl Marx in the Communist Manifesto, I plead with all Americans to put aside our racial conflicts and workers of the world unite. Yeah, I don't end every piece with, you know, Karl Marx, but yeah, sometimes, sometimes it's right. What I do end every podcast with, though, is that's right. The sultry sounds of John Mayer. Folks, thank you for uh, thank you for joining us this week. I really appreciate it. 